I'm back. You couldn't get rid of me, could you? You tried. How many people have been affected by this nasty illness that's sweeping our nation? Right? Like, I'm just glad that you're here. Can I just tell you, I'm really glad you're here. I'm also glad you're not all sitting real close together. I see you've spread out. That's also good. I would recommend fist bumping, no high-fiving or hugging or anyway. Um, We also have hand sanitizer on the way out. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we're going to get started. Uh, Father, you... uh, there's no place that we'd rather be. Um, on this day that, that the world celebrates love, we, we want to celebrate the real love that came in the person of your son. Um, Father, show us who you are today by telling us more about your son. We cannot get enough, God. Thank you for those that are here. Thank you for those that are listening. Thank you for those that are, that are home, like tackled by this nasty illness. God, don't let... Anything of this world keep us from you. We thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm glad I'm back. I I hated to miss you guys, but um, you wouldn't have liked me at all last week. And um, you would have run from me if you would have heard me coughing. So I'm back, and I'm not coughing. And if I do, I have been given the proper you know, way to cough on a microphone. So there's that. Um, last week, uh, I know you got to watch a video on the woman at the well, and I know that was probably meaningful to you because I, I, I don't think we can get enough of that, right? Because that's who we are. We are the women that are coming to the well looking for living water who need Jesus Christ. So um, I'm glad you got to hear that in your homework. You went through John 7 and 8, and, the, and, and we were asking the question, who do we say Jesus is? Because that's the question that was starting to, to really have to be answered, right? There was feasts and there were journeys and the brothers, remember we talked about his brothers and they were kind of smarmy, weren't they? Trying to get him to go to Jerusalem before his time. Um, there were plots and there were divisions and there were decisions made, weren't there? There were mysteries and postures and tricks and traps and lights of the world in a dark, dark place. And that's what John 7 and 8 looked like. If I had it my way, I would get to go through all of that with you. But today, I'm going to try really hard to merge together two lessons worth of of goodness and truth. And let's see what we come out on the other side knowing about Jesus, okay? Um, So before we move into chapters 9 and 10, I want to go back for just a second. So open your Bibles to chapter 8 of the book of John. And we're going to look at one little passage. And that's kind of where I got... um, the entire uh, title and the entire idea of what this lecture is going to be today. And it was from John um, 8, verses 31 through 33. You remember those? You probably do. You've probably seen it. You've probably seen it on T-shirts. Maybe you got a mug. I don't know. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to ask you to look at it a little differently before we even get into um, today's lesson. Verse 31 goes like this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Verse 33, they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you, how is it that you will say you will become free? Freedom, the truth. Right? In this one little tiny passage that we read a week or so ago, we see that number one, in the very beginning, he's speaking to those who believed him. 
So he's talking to people who have bought in to this Jesus whole thing, right? He, they believe him. And so they're believers. The second thing that we understand is he's telling us that we are to do what to the word? We're to abide in it, that word abide. You've seen it before. You've probably sung it before if you've ever been at church. But, but I want you to really think about what that word means. He's not just saying that I've given you my word or I've spoken these fancy words and I want you to listen. He's saying I want you to abide. And when he says abide, he means I want you to stick to it. I want you to obey and observe. I want you to, um, to realize that this isn't a habitual thing. And it's not a subjective thing. It's not, oh, okay, you know, things are going really good. And um, I got a cute outfit this week, so I'm going to church. It's when things are really bad and, and everything is wrecked. And you can barely get yourself up to brush your teeth, let alone get cute. And you abide in this word. Because it's true. It's true on the days that you're on the ground. And it's true on the days that you're looking good and feeling good. Amen. So he says... These are believers, you are to believe, you are to abide. And then he says the word truth. Do you know what he's talking about when he uses the word truth here? When he's using the word truth here, it's kind of this all-encompassing thing. It's not only who Jesus is, but it's what Jesus says. Okay? So anytime you see that, he says the truth will set you free. Jesus Christ, the person. Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to this earth. And everything he says will set you free. We need that. But then he goes on, and we, we hear John say that um, all the folks that were watching were like, what did they say to Jesus? Like, dude, we're not, we're not slaves. We're totally cool. So I kind of imagine us in Flower Mound, Texas, going, what do you mean? I, need, I don't need to be set free from anything. I'm not a slave. I beg to differ. We are slaves, and we need to be set free. And so as I was reading through that one little portion, I, I came across like one of my very favorite quotes. And if you did John with us four years ago or whenever, you, you might remember this one because it's one of my favorites and it's never left me. And it's Flannery O'Connor. And she's like this quirky Southern novelist back in, she died in the 60s, but she was, um, she was a believer, but she had this really quirky, awesome way of saying things. And she said this about this very passage. She said, I translate it this way. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you odd. <laughs> Amen. Anybody in here odd? Well, you are. You don't even have to raise your hand. I totally know that you are. What does that even mean? Well, I love that she says that because I've heard the other, the truth shall set you free, which we want freedom. Amen. We want freedom. And we're going to talk about freedom in just a minute. But when she says the truth will make you odd, you know what the truth will make you? It will make you different. It will make you look so different to the outside world that's watching. We want that. I don't want you to look at me and how I react in the midst of tragedy and suffering and things in this world and think that I look just like my neighbor who doesn't believe in a Jesus Christ who came? Like I think about, like, the world is watching. We want to be odd. We want to be the ones that the world goes, huh, that's weird. How can she go through that and yet still praise God? How can she be so broken and yet still show up at Bible study and believe that this is true? That's odd. And so today, when we go through this stuff that we're going to go through, that's where I was coming from. I was like, what are those things, Lord, that make us odd as believers? The things that make us odd. I, I came up with three that we can cover today. And the first is this, that we are free. That's odd. Because the world is full of slavery. And even if they don't call it that and they don't realize that, and oftentimes we as believers don't realize that we are slaves to many things. Amen? 
But in Jesus, we are free. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the fact that we are sheep. Yeah, I called you livestock today. Cool, right? Real dirty, nasty sheep. All right, we're going to talk about that. And that's from uh, chapter 11. And the last thing we're going to talk about, and I just decided on the fly backstage, talking to my friend, um, instead of we endure, we're going to change that to we overcome. We overcome. And that's chapter 11. So that's where we're going to go today. So turn with me, if you would, to uh, John chapter 8, if you haven't already, and let's talk about freedom. Let's talk about freedom. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are free. We are free from things that we may not even know enslave us. You know that? Whether or not you claim these freedoms, whether or not you act on them, you are. You have access to freedom. I thought of four. The first is this. You are free from the excuse of ignorance. We are free from the excuse of ignorance. In verse 32, chapter 8, that I just read, it says this. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. When he says the word know, I want you to consider um, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus says something a little different. He says, you're going to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your what? Your mind. So think about it this way. When you say you know the truth, I don't mean you just memorize it, which that is awesome. And if you memorize scripture, you are amazing. And come hang out with me because half the time I can't remember where stuff is. And I would love to have a friend next to me where I can go, where's that? Where do you find that? It's not just head knowledge, though. What it is, is it's, it's head knowledge, it's heart understanding, and it's life experiences, isn't it? And the beauty of being a believer in Jesus is you get to take that truth and you don't have to be ignorant anymore. You know what? In North Korea right now, yeah, the Olympics are happening, but this is, this is besides that. Um, do you know that I found a cool story about how um, missionaries are trying to get the word of God into North Korea? You know what it is? You know what they're doing? They're in South Korea, and, and they take these things, and they're, they're like, they look like pillows, really. They call them balloons, but they kind of square, and they look like pillows, and they fill them with helium. And inside of it, you know what they're putting? They're putting little um, thumb drives with God's Word. Or they're putting pages of the New Testament in these, in these helium balloons. Okay? seems so archaic. Like, this is how we're getting the Word of God out? Yeah. So they seal it up, and they put helium in it, and so what's it going to do? It's going to float. And so then they have um, a little chamber that's, that's set to release the helium so that the, when the helium comes out, what's it going to do? It's going to fall. And in North Korea, that's how people are getting the word of God. They see balloons and they run and grab it and stuff it in their pocket before they get caught. Because if they get caught, they could go to prison. They could be killed. There's so many terrible things that are happening. They don't have freedom that we have. You got freedom, man. You're holding a Bible in your hand. And if you're like me, you probably got like a bunch of these laying around. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that you are free from having to be ignorant about who Jesus Christ is. And you're here. You're trying. You're opening it. We are free from the excuse of ignorance. The second thing we are free from is we are free from the slavery of sin. We are free from the slavery of sin. Verse 34, he says this. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. What happens when he says things twice? Listen up. Listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Do you hear that? It doesn't say, hey, those of you that practice those really big sins, like the really bad ones, you're a slave. No, he says, every 
one of us is a slave to sin. The thing that's not what we're not, we may not understand that sin's consequences, we're not free from those because God is a good dad and he lets us feel and taste and experience the consequences of sin often. Sometimes we wish he would Lazarus us from that, right? But he doesn't because he loves us. But we are not slaves if we know the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why we are odd. That's why we are different if we are believers. Romans 6.18 says this. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. When you know Jesus, you're still going to mess up. Amen? But you're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. The third thing is that we are free from the lack of purpose. We are free from Feeling like we don't matter. Can I just tell you something? It's Valentine's Day. Can I say something to everybody in this room? I don't know where you're coming from or how you feel or if you've got flowers and candy on your your island this morning when you woke up. Or maybe you don't. But I want you to know something. You are his. And he loves you. He loves you more than the person who bought candy. Sometimes we don't feel it, right? Sometimes we feel like our lives are just nothing and there is nothing that matters, and there's no purpose, and there's no reason, right? Sometimes we feel that. I mean, let's not lie. Y'all look real pretty, but I know some of you guys are sitting in the chair going, yeah, that's me. Can I tell you something real cool? This is what's so cool about the truth that sets us free and makes us odd, is that we can know, even when we feel rotten and purposeless, That we know a God who isn't. And we know a God who we can rely on the character of him. That he loves us. And he never leaves us. And he never, ever, 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 ever is against us. And he's just. And he's good. And he protects. And he loves. And we can rely on the God that we know. And that there's purpose. In James 1, 22 through 26. I love this verse so much. Do not merely listen to the word. Okay, you can listen right now. I know some of you that haven't had a lot of caffeine. I hope you didn't give up coffee for Lent because it's going to be a long couple Bible studies if you did. So y'all are all going to start kind of, okay, anyway, I, I digress. James 1.22 through 26 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, the truth, who Jesus is and what he said, that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, listen to this part, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Be a doer of God's word, not just a hearer. That's how you find purpose. I love, one time I was, I was, I was some other Bible study that we did, I, I said this, and I, I remember, I don't know where I found it, but I was like, how do we practically um, be doers of the word and find purpose and do things that matter? And I remember reading something, I'm sure I plagiarized this, and it said, here's what you do, you ready? Write this down. You go find what God is doing and you join him. Find what God is doing and join him. Sometimes we feel like we, we can't get anything figured out. You know what the greatest thing to do when you are in the pit and you are sad and you are hopeless? You know what the best thing to do is to show up and help and love someone else. It takes your eyes off your stuff real quick, doesn't it? If you know Jesus, you have the power to be free from the lack of purpose that we let ourselves feel.
The fourth thing is this. If you know Jesus, if you're a believer, you have been set free from riding the waves of circumstances. You're free from that. Now, oftentimes we like to go, we're like the Israelites, right? Like we like, we want to go back to slavery because life is hard. And that's how we are sometimes, don't we? We don't want to claim the freedom of not riding the waves of circumstances. We want to just ride those waves because it feels right, doesn't it? You know, a couple of years ago, we studied the book of Psalms. And um, I would challenge you, if you've not read the book of Psalms much, go back and do this. Open it, like take your Bible and, and shut it, and just like open it flat in the middle, and you will probably open to Psalms. And when you do, I don't care which one you read, well, I care. There's a couple that are a little, that may not fit into this category, but most of them, most of them you will read, and you will read the author, who is David in a lot of cases. In some cases, it's not some other dude, but you'll read him saying, my life is hard and people are chasing me and they want to kill me and everything bad is happening and I don't understand it and I'm sick and I'm tired and life is terrible. But God, but God, you are good and you protect me and you love me. And even though those guys are bad, you are good. And it's like this crazy, like bipolar thing. It's like the psalmist is saying, this is how I feel because my circumstances are this, but this is what I know. I know who God is. What we know about God is greater than what we feel about our circumstances. And so, as a believer, we are free from that if we choose to be free from that. Max Lucado says this, and it's, this is convicting, and you're going to want to look down because you're not going to want to look at me in the eye when I say this, because this is all of us. We find it difficult to trust God when we can't figure out why he would allow certain uncomfortable things to happen to us. Yes? Interestingly... <laughs> We don't seem to wonder about God when he allows the good stuff in our lives, do we? We don't have to ride the waves, good or bad. We can stay focused on the steady, and that is our God. We are free because Jesus alone, by the way of the cross, set us free. That's why we're free. Well, the second, the livestock thing. We move on to another reason why we're odd when we buy into this truth of who Jesus is and what he says is that we are sheep. And, and I'll tell you what, the outside world that's looking in is like, say, what? I don't want to, do I want to join that group? They're sheep. Here's what we need to understand about that. Um, let's go ahead and flip to John 10. And I'm going to read a couple of passages and I'm going to move pretty quickly through this section because we got, we got other things to get to, but... This illustration in John 1 through 6 where he lays out um, the, the sheep, the door, the shepherd and the sheep. And he talks about the gatekeeper and um, the door. I want, I want you to understand something. You, you talked about this in your homework and you covered it. But this would have been a really, I know for me I was reading it and I'm like, I do not even get this. Because obviously I'm not a sheep farmer. However, I did find some inf interesting information that our own Linda was actually a shepherd at one point in her life. I warned her I might get her up here on stage to talk about being a shepherd. Find her afterward. Talk to her about that. Um, but this is what's interesting. This would have been a really familiar illustration, okay? And here's why. Because everybody at the time was, was, was around shepherds and shepherding and, and that sort of thing. And so here's how I want you to think about this. When you hear this first six verses here, remember this, that the sheep fold, okay? You heard that term? That was actually an enclosure made of rocks. So think of a pen, in essence, that had like a rock fence around it, okay? And so obviously, to get in and out, there had to be an opening, 
Okay, it wasn't necessarily always a door, but there was an opening to get in and out. And so what would happen is the shepherd at night, the shepherds would bring all their flock into the sheepfold because they need to be protected at night from predators or from thieves or from robbers or whatever. So they'd bring them in and multiple shepherds would bring their sheep in. So all of a sudden you got Joe the shepherd and Sam the shepherd and they both bring their flock in and they're all, they're all buddies in the sheepfold at night. But here's what's interesting. You got the opening, right? So what do you do about that? Well, one of the shepherds or one of his men would lay in the opening of the sheepfold so that they wouldn't get out or nothing would get in. That's his job. They'd take shifts and they'd take turns and they'd sleep there and lay there and protect. So you have one shepherd lying across the opening and at night, the shepherds from all the villages would bring all their sheep and there's only one door and entrance. And so in the morning, the way they would all exit, so remember we're all mixed up now with Sam's and Joe's and, okay, is they would recognize the voice of their shepherd. And so that's how they'd exit, is they'd know who to go with by the sound of his voice. And so Jesus is laying this out, and he's basically trying to tell us um, false shepherds will come and try to call you out. But false shepherds can only steal the flock. They can't coax the flock out because the shepherd, I mean, the sheep know his voice. They know that's not the right voice. How do we do that today? How do we know when things are false and there are robbers and there are thieves trying to steal from us and trying to undo the truth that Jesus, only Jesus could bring? We listen for the voice, don't we? We said this before. The only way to know when things aren't true is to hold up next to the real truth, right? If you're sitting in a church service or a Bible study or listening to a podcast and something smells funny... Well, then you get out the truth and you set it next to the truth and you decide. Because only this truth is the voice that's going to call you out. So anyway, he moves into, in verses 7 through 10, he moves into that whole thing about I am the door of the sheep. Remember that? He goes into this different type of application. He changes the metaphor. He goes and he says, basically, you guys didn't understand what I said just then. And so I'm going to move into this so that you can understand this in in, in in a more of an applicable language instead of that symbolic language. And he says this. Let me read 7 through 10 just to kind of get our our heads right real quick. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, what does that mean? Listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. Uh, Verse 10. The thief comes to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Still does, by the way. I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. So he's saying, okay, so you know that whole sheep pen thing, and you know that there's only one way and one out, one way out. I am the only way. I'm it. He's, he's referencing here, he's talking about how um, th- there were um, basically this door, it leads in and out, but what he's trying to make clear here is that there have been other leaders that have come before me. Some were probably standing in the vicinity and didn't appreciate this term. And he basically said, I'm the door that leads you out of bondage, that leads you out of religious bondage. I'm the door that takes you out of those things that are not making you free. And I lead you in to salvation. I lead you in to freedom. I'm the door. Then he goes on to make things even worse, doesn't he? He calls himself what? I am the the good shepherd. 
In verses 11 through 18, he says, I am the good shepherd. And make note, he doesn't just say, I am the shepherd or I am a shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says that because he's trying to be intentional with the contrast of other, quote, shepherds or hired hands who have come before. You know, they're standing around right now. And a lot of those, you know, he references in there, sometimes you have hired hands, right? And what's the only thing they care about? They only care about themselves. They care about their paycheck, and then they go home, and they eat Cheerios, and they're cool. But when you're the shepherd, you're the one laying across the doorway. You're the one worried about your sheep. You're the one who leads and protects them, right? And so he's saying that there have been other leaders that have come before me. They're not the good shepherd. The word good is intentional. You go on to see that he's talking about, um, remember he talks about my fold, and you guys covered this in your homework. He's talking about Israel there. And then he talks about the other sheep, and he's talking about the Gentiles there. He's basically saying something that's a little mind-blowing. He's saying this, there is one flock, and that's all of us. In your homework, you went through Psalm 23, right? Remember the the shepherd psalm? And then you talked about how Jesus says all these things about being the good shepherd and what that looks like. You know, four things kind of crept up to me when I was looking at this passage. And it was that, that the good shepherd does this. He calls and leads out his sheep by name, doesn't he? They know him. They know his voice. He calls them. You know, just, a, just an aside, later on we're going to see at the tomb when Jesus has been dead and rises again and he's, he's standing before Mary and she has no idea what this is or who this is or what's happening. And you know when she recognizes him? Do you, know, do you remember? When he does what? When he says her name. She didn't see him. But she heard him. He calls us by name, guys. And he leads us out. You know, um, it's interesting because when you look at the way the Western people um, have shepherding, the, the kind of the tradition of shepherding in a Western world is more that the shepherd and dogs usually will lead from the back or from the side. But in the Eastern culture, they lead in the front with the voice. First one, ahead of everything else. He calls and leads them out by name. The good shepherd dies for his sheep. How many times did he say that, that I will die for my sheep? Three times. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The third thing is that the good shepherd in verses 14 and 15, he knows his sheep. He knows them. He knows us. And the fourth is that he brings others in Do you love that? Do you love that? I don't know where you are in your walk of faith, and I don't know where it began for you, or maybe you're just searching. I don't know what it is, but you know what I love? I love that I look around this room, and I have no idea. I don't know your story, but I do see people sitting together, and I kind of wonder, did she bring her? Did she bring her? It's so cool. It's so cool to get the opportunity to be a part of the ones brought in, isn't it? Well, it's funny, you know, when we hear this whole thing about the good shepherd, we wonder, why, God, why do we need to be led? Because the world tells us to lead, doesn't it? The world says, go be the go-getter, you know, don't be the follower. Follower seems like such a negative thing. When when we're talking about sheep, um, here's why. A couple years ago, I shared this awesome story, but I just couldn't stand it. I had to do it again. Um, When you think about us being called sheep, it's not necessarily a compliment, 
so much. And we see it over and over in God's word. And here's, here's what I found interesting. Years ago, 2005, there was a USA Today article. And I double-checked it on Snopes, and it's not fake. So everybody just chill, okay? <laughs> Istanbul, Turkey. There was this crazy thing that happened with a bunch of sheep. You remember? Some of you over there. I see some of you nodding your heads. This is, what's ha- this is what happened, and I'm just quoting a little part of the article. These sheep were grazing, and they didn't have a shepherd close by that was actually taking care of them or leading them. I don't know what he was doing, going to get a Coke or something. He wasn't around. And so one sheep um, was grazing, and they were getting close to a cliff, and he decided he was going to jump off the cliff because why not? So the first sheep jumps off the cliff, and he jumped to his death, of course, obviously. Terrible, sad story. However, it gets weirder and slightly funnier. Then... The the, the stunned Turkish shepherds that were far off who had left their herd to graze while they were having breakfast and getting a Coke watched from from afar as nearly 1,500 other sheep followed the one. Each leaping off the same cliff, Turkish media reported, and in the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a white billowy pile of dead sheep. Yeah, you're welcome for that. Um... This newspaper says, it goes on to say, those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and higher and the fall became more cushioned. Oh, that's a bright side. (laughs) After one of the sheep tried to jump a ravine, the rest of the flock followed. And so when I say we're sheep, we are, we're followers. I mean, let's, let's be real here. It doesn't matter if you go out in this world and you're not a believer and you're like, no, I'm not. You are, you're following something. You're listening to a voice. Someone is leading you. Who is it? What is it? Is it a phone? I don't know. We have a good shepherd who wants to lead us, who knows our name, who wants to lead us, who protects us, who will lay down his life for us. Will your shepherd do that? Because you're following somebody, I promise, and I hope it's not off a cliff. We are sheep led by one shepherd who goes before us to lead, protect, and even die for us. One shepherd Well, the last thing I want to go over was um, this section in John 11 that talks about Lazarus. And man, I love that story, right? I mean, I'm just like, yeah, God, like, because I know what's coming, right? If you've never read it before, you're probably like, what the what? But I know what's coming because I've read it before. So I'm like, yeah, watch this, everybody. Jesus is going to roll up his sleeves and do Jesus things. Well, as I thought about it in, in, in the course of what makes us odd, I thought about this. I thought, man... There is a world watching us, believers. Um, there's a world watching. And we, we have to be overcomers. We have to endure. And here's the, here's the crazy part. Just an aside, in case you're like, okay, well, I'm turning in my card and I'm done. I don't want to overcome and I don't want to endure. Well, you're going to have to do it anyway. You're either going to do it with a shepherd or without a shepherd. But you're going to have to suffer and you're going to have to go through hard stuff. Happy Valentine's Day. Glad you came. But it's true. And so as I go through this, this um, awesome story of, of the death of Lazarus and then how Jesus raised him from the dead, I want to focus on the front end of this story. I want to focus on verses 1 through 8 of this story. 
And you did it in your homework, so you know this. But remember, um, Lazarus got sick, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, um, were, were there, and they sent a messenger. And, so, and then Jesus hung out for a while with his disciples, and they were like looking at their watch, like, you're crazy, what's up, why aren't we going? And then he wanted to go, and then they said, you're going to get killed, and he said, we're going. And it was real crazy, wasn't it? And then, you know, the skies parted, and the kumbaya sang, and everybody, you know, praised Jesus, and he walked out. Okay, but we're going to talk about the first part of it. We're going to talk about those, those first four days where nothing was seemed to be happening. Um, something to know about this miracle is it really was what's considered the capstone of Jesus' public ministry. This one was the big one. Because right after this happened, he did what? He went into seclusion. Right after this one is when he hunkered down with his people. This one is... Um, it's the miracle that aroused the most response, negative and positive. This is the one. So here's how it's set up. So Bethany is where this miracle occurred. At the time when Jesus, when we opened the scene in chapter 11, Jesus is actually 20 miles away. Okay, so he's going to call an Uber. He's not going to call an Uber. 20 miles away, that's no joke. How many people are going to leave here today and walk 20 miles? No hands. Okay. So when you look at this, I want you to think about that. So whenever um, we find out that, that, that Lazarus is really ill, Mary and Martha, they send a messenger day one. The messenger arrives where he is 20 miles away and tells them the news, right? The, the sister sent to him in verse 3, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, <clears throat> so that the Son of God can be glorified through it. That's big. Put a star next to that. He's telling us something. So he hears the news, the, the one that you love. Know this. Okay, so we talked about how Jesus has his disciples, his 12, but he's got his three, like his, his BFFs, right? But it's, it's widely believed by scholars of the Bible that these three, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, these three siblings were precious to Jesus. If you go and read in Luke and some of the other um, the synoptic gospels, you'll see that there's a lot of stories about them. And some of you have heard of the Mary Martha thing and, you know, Mary um, uh, anointing Jesus' feet and all those things, right? And we hear about Lazarus. He loved this family. He would go stay with them and hang with them. They're like his people. They're where he would go to get fed probably, literally and figuratively. So he did love Lazarus. And we find later that he shows such great emotion and brokenness over his friend, right? So day one, the messenger comes to Jesus. Day two, messenger goes back to Bethany. Jesus knew the result. In verse four, he says this. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified. He knew that it doesn't result in death. Excuse me, he, it results in death, but it doesn't end with death. Right? That's what Jesus knew. Nobody knew that at this point. Day three. They say, okay, well, let's get our stuff together. We got to go, right? And Jesus is like, no, we're going to wait another day. Okay, so anybody, let's think about this for a second. If you're a parent, and even if you're not a parent, a kid falls and breaks his arm and it's hanging in half and it's dangling off the you know, slide and they're just sitting there and you're the mom and you're sitting over on the, or you're a spectator of the babysitter, you're sitting over on the, on the thing and you're reading your, well, maybe more like this, and you're reading very important information and you look up and the kid's arm's hanging off and you're, the kid's screaming, mommy, 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 right? Like, doesn't that just make your blood curdle? You look up and you're like, okay, so here's what you do. You say, yeah, okay, I will get to you 
in a day. And then you go back to this. That's what I think that was probably going on here. I feel like Mary and Martha were like, so we know Jesus, we trust Jesus, he's, he's who he says he is, so we're going to send a messenger and this is going to be cool and God's going to do big things. And then they send a messenger and messenger comes back and says, um, no, Jesus is going to wait. He's just going to sit on the park bench and read Facebook. I cannot even imagine what the disciples were thinking, right? Because you know what they're thinking? Here's what I would be thinking. Hey, Jesus, um, you remember, remember when you healed um, that, guy's, that guy's kid and you just did it by your voice and he wasn't even in the same town? Remember that? We don't even have to go back there. Like, you can just do Jesus stuff. He waits. Day three, he waits. Day four, he arrives, doesn't he? Now, something you need to know about four days. Four days means this. Decomposition had begun. His appearance would not be the same after four days. Okay? Also, Jewish tradition held that the spirit of the body hung around for about three days. There's no confusion when he arrives on the fourth day. When Lazarus walks out, there is no confusion. There is nobody that can say, ah, well, you know, he was only mostly dead. Anyone? Come on. Come on, you go look it up. No confusion. He was all the way dead. He was super duper dead. So we go back to day three, and I imagine the disciples. I imagine the disciples going, okay, God, I understand that Jesus loves Lazarus. I know this. But if you love Lazarus so much, why did you let him get sick? And why is it going to result in death? I don't get that. I'm following you around with, with dirty feet, walking miles and miles and miles, and you say that you love Lazarus and Mary and Martha. I mean, I understand that, you know, you get people, you know, you, you heal the sick people and stuff, but this is Lazarus, man. This is your guy. I imagine the disciples thinking that. I also imagine them saying, if you loved Mary and Martha, why don't you drop everything and go now and get off that bench and go right now? Why aren't you there? I imagine them asking him, if you wanted to heal Lazarus, why didn't you just do it with your voice? You can do that. You're God. I believe that that's who you are. Do you have those moments? Have you had those, those moments? Have you had those things in your life where you say, Jesus, if you really loved me, then why? How about have you had those moments after you became a believer? Because I'm going to tell you something. Um, part of being odd is believing in a God who doesn't fix everything for you when you come to accept him as your savior. He doesn't. I wish I could tell you that he did. That'd be a great Valentine's message. I have a story like that. We all have them, right? And, and I have one that I think to myself, I was 15 years old and um, in, in December, I had accepted Jesus as my savior at Young Life Camp. And it was so cool because everybody, all my leaders were there. and It was really fun. I came home. My parents were so happy because my parents, I lived in an awesome Christian home. I was that home. Okay, I was this home. Everybody wanted to be at my house because I had the coolest parents and I had the coolest siblings. And I had a pool and we had horses and it was like the life right? And so it just made sense. I accepted Jesus. That's perfect. That's cool. We're just going to keep doing this thing. And it's, it's good. And then it wasn't. And then it wasn't. And then six months after I accepted Jesus as my Savior, um, I was at Young Life Camp, the greatest week of your life. 
And my Young Life leader came up to me and he said, um, he had red eyes, you know, and you know that's never good when he comes up to you and he's got, hey, we got to talk. I'm 15 and I'm like, I got the, I, okay, we can talk because we're going horseback riding today and I got to get my kids on and my jams and all, if you're in the 80s, you'll know what those things are. He says, we got to talk and we sat down, we talked, walked 10 steps down on on this um, little staircase and we sat down and he looked at me and he said, it's your dad and 15 years of perfect changed you got one of those days if you don't have one of those days you probably will get one of those days I'm sorry to tell you so now all of a sudden I have Jesus as my savior right I'm six months into this thing and my world just fell apart and then I get home to my family and I see my my family and I find out not only did my daddy die but he killed himself Wait, you're, I have the perfect family. My dad's a believer. My mom's a believer. It was perfect, and then it wasn't perfect. If Jesus really loved me, why would he let that happen to me? Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, she believed, remember, But Jesus is not conditional. He doesn't just love us when good things are happening. When when 15-year-old Chris is broken on the floor because nothing in the world makes sense anymore, he was still God and he was still on the throne. Still. I said, if you had only been here, and he said, this does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So that the Son of God may glorify through it. I think about Martha and how she felt when he did arrive. He said, do you believe, essentially? And she said, yes, Lord. Before Lazarus was raised. Do you remember that? Before he came out. Before she even knew what was going to happen. She said this, yes, Lord. I believe in you, that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Sometimes, guys, we don't get Lazarus moments, right? Sometimes we get Martha, but we don't get to see Lazarus walk out of the grave, right? Sometimes those he loves get thrown into a grave and into innocently into years of slavery. Sometimes those he loves get tossed into fiery furnaces. Sometimes those he loves lose everything. Spouses, family, health, friends, reputation, home. Sometimes those he loves get left. Sometimes those he loves get imprisoned, stoned to death, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes. A thorn in their side that won't go away. Tortured. Sometimes those he loves lose their daddies when they're 15. God doesn't love, God God doesn't pamper us. God's love does not pamper us. Can I tell you that? It doesn't pamper us, it perfects us. You see, the, the thing about this is, before we even get to the end of the story, we learn this. 
We know that Jesus was deeply moved. And what did he do over his friend? He wept, didn't he? He came and he wept. You know, um, when I'm thinking about this and I'm thinking about um, how it must have felt before he walked out of the grave, I I remember this, that God um, let his own son, Jesus, drink from the cup of sorrow and experience pain and shame on the cross. You see, because for some weird reason, we believe that love and suffering are incompatible when they are not. Love and suffering go hand in hand. And I wish I could stand up here and tell you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that you will not face suffering, but you will. But you know what the difference is? When you are odd and you trust Jesus with your life, you overcome. When you trust Jesus with your life, he shows up, he weeps with you, and he resurrects and redeems. You know what? I wish I could stand up here and say, and then my dad stood up when I got home off the airplane and everything was good and we, it was not good. It was bad, and it was painful for a really long time. It still is painful. But I will tell you this. Jesus was present with my family. Jesus wept with us, and he resurrected and redeemed. But you know what's crazy? I had this thought last night. I mean, I already said all this last night, but after I went to bed, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I realized Lazarus, the Lazarus story was less about my dad being redeemed physically or resurrected physically, but it was about me as a believer being resurrected. It was about me being redeemed. He took the darkest, darkest thing, and he made it new and good. I'm here right now standing in these shoes because that happened. I'm married, and I have kids, and I trust Jesus with everything because that happened. Funny, he was present, he wept, and he redeems. You know, um, I'm, I'm a hoodlum, so I have some tattoos on myself. I know some of you have seen me and probably pray for me, as you noticed, but um, I have one. I have this one, and it's, it's a date. And it's the date um, that my dad died. And it, it's the worst day. It was the worst day of my life. But you know what it was, too? It was the best day of my life. You know why? Because it's the day that that I realized, not for many years later, that I had a Savior who loved me so much that he would redeem even the shame and darkness of suicide in my family. And on that same day that I had no idea what God was unfolding, I had no clue. All I knew was things were real bad and they're about to get real worse, okay? But what I didn't know is that the same exact time and the same exact day and the same exact Young Life trip A 15-year-old girl was walking away from the best week of her life, packing up her bag and walking to the van, and a 15-year-old awkward teenage boy that she'd never met in her life because he was the new kid, because who talks to the new kid? He walked up, and he gave me a hug. I didn't know that on 6-19-85, he gave me the worst day but the best day because two years later, That guy was my boyfriend, and seven years later, that guy was my husband, and 33 years later, we're still together, and God's doing stuff. And it wasn't a coincidence. He is present, and he weeps, and he redeems. If you don't get a Lazarus moment, still trust him. If you get a Lazarus moment, still trust him. We are odd The world is watching, and I'll tell you what, more often than not, people have said that to me and my family, right, Mom? You are, what is it? 
about you crazy people that you can still lift your head up and praise God. We are odd. We endure, we overcome, because while we suffer, our Savior weeps with us and he never leaves us alone in our suffering, no matter what you feel. When you think about the truth and you think about being set free, will you remember this, that you are in this world, you are not of this world, and you will look different. And that is what is going to tell the world about who Jesus Christ is. I had the song that um, was playing when I was writing this, and I'm going to finish with the lyrics of the song and the words of Martha as well. The song goes like this. It's by the Colony House. If you want to look it up, go for it. It says, and I can't be satisfied. This well has long been dry. What does it cost to find a home for what's been lost? Well, maybe I'm part of something bigger than me. Like I'm a page in a book in a library. And inside my heart, there's a dying part that's always searching. Because I know there's a place where I belong. There must be more to this wonderful, terrible, beautiful life. There is a shepherd who is calling your name, and he wants to lead you, and he wants to die for you. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world no matter what. I'm going to pray. Father, um, thank you that you go to the dark places and you find us. Thank you that um, just because life goes up and down, you are steady and you are trustworthy. Thank you that you lift our heads when we're broken. Thank you that when we're on the floor and we're weeping and we don't get a Lazarus walking out of the grave, that you're there with us and you're crying with us, God. Thank you so much that you sent your son to show us that. Lord, I pray that everybody who walks out of here today can remember that we feel a lot of things, but we can know the one true God who loved us so much that he came to this earth to feel and to taste and to walk and to live the life that we should have lived and die the death that we should have died. Thank you, God. I thank you for this time. I thank you for all my friends in this room. May they all feel loved, Father, by you. In Jesus' name, amen.